we're going to honor your time. So we're, we're going to get, uh, get started. want to welcome you uh, to, this is the last in the series um, on the new normal. And we're, we've been talking about um, kind of what's it going to look like after, after the pandemic uh, is over as we transition back. And so today's going to be a summary. We're going to talk just kind of some best practices. want to encourage you, if you have questions uh, throughout our time today, to be sure and put it in the chat. Um, two other things I want to let you know before we get started and, uh, and pray. Number one is this. At the end, um, I'm going to have a link to a survey, and it's literally a 60-second survey. If you guys can help us out by just uh, filling out the survey, we're really, I was just telling Grace, we're trying to figure out, like for the fall, if folks would be um, willing and open to doing in-person synergy gatherings again. You know, I, I feel like we can brag any, like we can bribe anyone with Chick-fil-A and it will work, but uh, we're going to test it. So if, if we had free Chick-fil-A and more synergies in the fall, would you guys be willing, willing to come? That's going to be a survey at the end of our time today. Um, also, um, Grace will put in the chat um, our last two Synergy Zooms, a, a link to them. We recorded them. Um, I'm going to encourage you, if you haven't, check them out. They were incredibly, incredibly helpful. Uh, one was on uh, maintaining a virtual presence during the pandemic. And then last time, uh, Mark McGrath uh, shared on communication and how do we, how we communicate um, in, a, in a virtual world. So packed, packed with stuff, packed with uh, some good information that I think will be helpful uh, for you guys. So again, you'll see those links in the chat box. If you have questions, uh, be sure and put them in the chat box as well. So the way today's gonna work is pretty simple. We're gonna um, hear from a couple of our uh, pastors of just some best practices and things that we are learning in the course of the pandemic. And um, just to kind of share some ideas um, and brainstorming. And then if there's any questions, we'll do a Q&A at the end and, and that'll be it. It should be pretty, uh, pretty short and sweet today. So if you would, uh, let's open up in a word of prayer. Uh, Father, I just thank you so much for um, uh, even this technology. I know many of us are probably weary from, uh, from Zoom and from uh, Facebook and from all of, of the technology. And yet at the same time, we're thankful that it allows us to do something that the church hasn't had a chance to do in, in history, which is to meet in, in a difficult, difficult time. And so I just thank you for that. And I pray, God, that you would just expand our minds. God, as frustrating as this pandemic has been, uh, we see that you're just, you're revealing more opportunities that maybe have been there all along, but we haven't uh, taken up the, that call. And so I pray, God, just continue to open our eyes, help us to be creative, help us to see uh, what new expressions of church can look like um, during this difficult time. And I pray that today would just be an encouragement for uh, each one of us. And uh, God, we just love you and we give this time to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, Michael, I'm going to turn it over to you. Michael, um, if you just want to do a quick intro and then uh, give us some of your best uh, best practices, that'd be awesome. Thank you. How are you doing, everybody? Um, this is Pastor Mike Rubino. I'm the lead pastor of a church here on Long Island, about an hour east of the MNYBA building in New York City. Uh, came to kind of be involved in MNYBA through just someone I consider to be one of the giants of the faith in my life, George Russ, um, who was always investing in churches and investing in pastors. So I appreciate the invite to be a part of these, you know, roundtables because, you know, we, we do something that is unique. We don't, nobody here has a career. 
we all have a calling. Um, we lead, you know, something that's more of a living organism than, than it is an organization. So uh, I find that when I talk to, you know, men, you know, and Grace and women like you, I have a better understanding of, of what comes next for us. So I'm glad to have this discussion because I really truly believe that the next normal um, will bear very little resemblance to probably the church from the mid eighties up until now, you know, besides, you know, worship wars aside and that whole shift. So there, there are three things I just want to talk about. Um, I don't have all the answers. I just want to kind of spark some discussion. So there'll be some best practices maybe, but some of it will just be observational. So, you know, we've been open physically since August 2nd at 50% capacity. So, about 30% of our congregation has come back. About another 30% of the congregation um, is watching faithfully online. And then there's 40% that is either spotty at best or is, or is missing in action um, at this point. We don't know how that's going to play out in the fall. But what I've noticed from those who have come back or are still engaged is a few things. Number one, really quick, I realized that the next normal for church growth is going to be great commission focused, not transfer growth or attractional growth, which is actually a good thing. Um, you know, we're not going to be treating church members like baseball cards much longer. Longer, 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 longer. Is that me or is that you guys? Anybody else hear that echo? Am I okay? I think you're good. Yeah, so a lot, lot less transfer growth. I mean, I know there's probably a few people in our church that should be looking to attend other churches that um, are just staying because they don't know what else to do. And so I think it'll be the future for us is going to be a lot more great commission, gospel-centered, owning our community. Um, even the people that have come back and are faithful on a Sunday morning, I'm finding that they're the same ones that are being more connected Monday through Saturday. So I'm seeing less of a Sunday morning emphasis and more of a Monday through Saturday uh, just relational connections. Sunday seems to now be more of a rallying point and you know it's more of an outgrowth of Monday through Saturday whereas it used to be a lot more dependent um, on that gathering. Um, I've noticed spiritually that people are praying more than I've seen since I've been the pastor here that they're less program focused there's not much going on for their kids, but all of a sudden, prayer meetings are becoming well attended, which is for me, without a doubt, a first. You know, I don't know about your guys' churches, but my my church, the prayer meeting is is the smallest meeting of any given week. You know, two or three people. So spiritually, I think the next normal for us is going to be more of a return to a Monday through Sunday relational church, like the Church of Acts, where they broke bread from house to house and, and they they were involved in those lives and it, they didn't just go to church together. I think that's going to be a big part of the future. I think that we're not going to see a lot of transfer growth from church to church. We're going to see a lot less attractional models. There's going to be a lot more Great Commission, you know, discipleship focused, friends inviting their friends and family. And then physical. So I'm, I'm noticing some physical things. I don't know how many of you guys own buildings, 
we we have seven acres, a few buildings, um, and before this started, it didn't feel big enough. And we were we were talking about things like building and and how we can expand and 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 now it feels so overly big. <laughs> uh, it's insane. So one of the things that buildings are naturally going to become more flexible in their use. I think you know our meeting spaces will be smaller. Um, other churches in our area are starting to get together and share space, um, and they're less competitive and more collaborative. So I think we're going to see that in regards to physical space and buildings. I think that our churches now this will be maybe a little different for the urban churches because you know your your community could literally be half a block, and there could be thousands and thousands of people. But I think there'll be more of a renewed focus on being a local church for that local community. Because we'll see a lot less people driving through communities or taking subways or buses long distances to get to our locations. And then another thing that we're facing right now is kind of redesigning our existing space, specifically the sanctuary, so it's seamless um, when we transition from on campus to online. Because now it is it is a, an experience, even if the pandemic doesn't come back, people are drifting in and out between our digital and our analog church. Now we can have a disagreement or agreement. Uh, I, I, I do not believe the online church can replace the, the on-site church. I don't think that's biblical or possible. But I do think it is a ministry of the church that now has become vital. So I think the next normal is us getting in our sanctuaries and saying, okay, how do I make this look and feel like a church service, whether someone's sitting in a seat or sitting on their love seat? You know, which, which brings up a whole bunch of minor changes we've had to make and just how things appear, our, our service order, how smooth things run, you know, the two minute handshaking time, you know, never looked good online. And, and now we're not allowed to have it. So, so that problem kind of solved itself. And then finally relational. I think that um, for years we've talked about small groups and the importance of small groups. But I think that even those that have been resistant will no longer be able to deny that when they start limiting your meeting size to 50, 25, 12, 10, small groups take on a whole new level of importance. And one of the things that we found was right before we started this, we started mentor groups, which is one mentor, three mentees. And those really micro groups have flourished even when our small groups have struggled at times. So for us, I think smaller is the new bigger. Um, I think the next normal is gonna be more service groups that are less on-site focused and are more in the community. So our teams now aren't just doing, you know, cleaning our property. You know, they're not just doing things here. You know, they're out in the community doing things for people that are trapped in their homes. Um, and then just learning how to like digitally connect emotionally. You know, how to do that well, you know, when, when people are Zoom fatigued or, you know, on their phones all day long, creating these relational spaces that allow for intimacy, you know, while at the same time being a thousand miles away, you know. 
So th those are kind of the, the challenges we have. Um, best practices. I don't, I don't think we have them yet. I think we're a work in progress. I think a year from now, when the smoke clears and the dust settles, we'll really see what worked and what didn't. I, I would just say overall, um, spiritually, we need to be prepared for a more great commission church, which is a good thing. Less transfer, less attractional physically. We're gonna have to be much more creative and do more with less. And I think relationally, we're gonna have to make sure we're, we're growing relationships depth um, and not just wide. Because otherwise, when things like this happen, we're constantly gonna lose 40% of our congregation. And, and you know, the saddest part is the, a lot of people that we're losing um, may not know Jesus, and it's not so much they're no longer attending their church, our church, as in they may be in a Matthew 7, 25 situation where they get to heaven and they're like, I'm here. And he's like, and you are, and, and that, that scares the life out of me. So. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. And again, if you guys have questions for, uh, for anyone on here, um, please uh, put it in the chat box and we'll uh, try to get it, get to it at the end. Um, lots of good stuff there. I do. Um, I resonate with that. I'm sure a lot of us on this call have probably lost people like just, they just kind of vanish, um, uh, that were kind of on the fringe to begin with. And so I think like, uh, that organic piece of going smaller to get bigger, I think is, is, is huge. So, um, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, Kevin Marsico, if you don't know Kevin, Kevin's an old friend of ours that, uh, back in the day when we were doing synergy in person, we would have Kevin, uh, regularly. And so he thought, you know, he was going to get like a get out of jail free card uh, by not being in person. And here, here he is. I wrangled him back and uh, he's always been a, uh, a favorite of ours just to like hear uh, ideas. And so I invited Kevin to come uh, tell us obviously in a different part of the country. Um, but just to kind of hear some of your ideas on what, how you guys are doing, uh, uh, thinking about church in new ways and, and adapting and not just surviving, but hopefully thriving as well. Yeah, thanks. Um, I'll take a few minutes and just give some uh, thoughts and then I'll uh, talk about some of the practices too. Uh, I'll go ahead and just do, I just put a sentence on a screen share. So I'll screen share in a minute if that's good too. Um, hey guys, before the pandemic, uh, I was already on a personal journey and it began in Acts 10. And it's when uh, Peter is there with a sheet that comes out of heaven with the food on it. And of course he hears from the father, take and eat. And Peter says, no. Uh, and as this goes back and forth, all of a sudden Peter gets this reality when God says to him, don't take uh, what is clean and say it's dirty, right? And, and then the whole Cornelius experience happens. And by the end of uh, chapter 10, here's what Peter finally realizes. He says, oh, the gospel is for everyone. Like the Holy Spirit is for everyone. And, and, I, and as it hit me, and then by the way, he had to repeat it all in chapter 11. It was so important. They took two chapters of the Bible to retell the exact same story that the gospel is for everyone. And as I began to think through it, um, here's what realized. And in Acts 10, we're somewhere between eight to 13 years post Acts 1. So Jesus said, go. 
we know in chapter eight, the persecution has occurred. And at that point, they're finally scattered. And then you get to 10, where we're now in a whole new place. But say approximately 10 years has passed. So Peter's the lead of the church. Peter like was at a place that not only was he empowered by the Holy Spirit and living by him, like his his shadow, if it cast across somebody, could heal them. Like, I mean, Peter was a major dude at this period in time. And and remember too that Peter had spent three years with Jesus. We know all the plus and minus of that. So I won't take time to build out this whole theological argument now. But here's the most minimal part I get. After three years with spirit uh, with, with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. 13 or 14 years into his spiritual journey with Christ, God had to come to him in this powerful moment and this moment where he was so kind to Peter and remind him of this simple thing. This is what he said. Hey, Peter, you're doing a great work, but basically your, your theology is still wrong. Your theology is wrong, Peter. Like you're still missing basic components. And, and when I began processing it, um, I began to work through and ask, hey, what does that Acts 10 moment mean for me? And, and when it came into COVID, now it went from something I had been processing and working through and rethinking things to now I have no other opportunity. I mean, guys, we, we have to stop and say, what do we do now in light of scripture, right? And um, hey, Grace, I don't know if you can give me a screen share or something. I'll just throw up a note if you're able to do that. Um, but, but, but when I come back, I was, we, I was already processing it, but, but here's what I figured out with Peter. Um, Peter had a history. He still was Jewish in his background. He still had prejudices. He still had, he still had ideological basis. He still had the framework of what he thought church was. And so the interesting thing was the thing that was making Peter struggle moving into this new endeavor was his view of what success and what church was in the past, right? And so you can't share that. That's fine, Gracie. Sorry about that. Oh, yes, you did, Gracie. It actually, it did switch. Oh, it worked? Okay, works. awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. So God, you may or may not be able to see this, guys, but I just thought uh, it, the question I keep asking is I'm not saying that what we did was wrong. So please, nobody hear me say, I'm not talking negative about the past. I'm asking this question in light of where we are, what am I potentially missing because of my Christian heritage, my background, my ingrained belief system? What, what pain or hurt or prejudice or the way that I define things, even how I define things, are keeping me from living out of a biblical framework. And so I've been trying to go back to Acts in the middle of this moment and just say, how do I re-see scripture as if I'm reading it for the first time, not reading scripture in the light of all of the Christian thought process that I have? I'm not trying to throw aside solid evangelical theology. I'm just, I'm just trying to look because even hearing what, what Doc is talking about church and stuff a minute ago, we're hearing some of the principles and the revelation. Wait a second. You know, he's going, I'm, we're now realizing the week, the six days a week is probably more important than just those times on Sunday morning. Well, I'm just telling you that's against everything we've heard for the last 30 or 40 years in the church, right? I mean, like we, we had conferences called, it's all about Sunday, stupid, right? You know, and, and I'm not saying it's not, but I'm just asking, how do I stretch myself? And here's what I found. In Acts 8, um, what we see happening with that persecution is after the persecution, it said, and the disciples and all except those core disciples were scattered throughout Jerusalem, Judea, 
and Samaria, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. And so Acts 1 to Acts 8, Jesus said, go. And then we see that Acts 2 church birth, which is this incredible um, habits and skills of a church. And we, we like to champion the Acts 2, 42 to 46. But my one pushback will be, but wait a second. Those components of that church actually weren't doing the most basic thing that Jesus said, which was to go. In fact, for those first years of the early church, they stayed predominantly. There were some who went, but most of it stayed. But after persecution, they finally got back to the basic mandate of going. And so when I came to this, what occurred to me is I kept thinking, God, someday you're going to bring persecution because either we choose to do willingly what you tell us to do, or we wait till you force us to do what we're called to do. And so I kept thinking there will be persecution in America that kind of forces us to rethink some stuff. But what we found, guys, is <coughs> currently it's not persecution. It's the pandemic. So even as I was hearing Doc talk, he, he's not saying anything super new or unique. He's actually driving us back to probably the way things were meant to be in the first place. We just got so focused on certain aspects that we've missed some things. And so there's three areas I just, I've been telling you, I, I'm struggling through, I'm thinking about, I'm just encouraging you to think with me, and then I'll give you some practices. So the three major shifts for me is rethinking discipleship. And the big thing is I, I've come to the point, we have to agree on a biblical definition. And, uh, and the last time I was up with you guys up the Northeast, if you weren't there, I'll send you documents on this. But my, here's my problem. We all keep using the word discipleship, but we all use different definitions. <laughs> and if I go back to what the Bible says, and I would encourage you to just go back to what scripture says and then do it. But if Jesus said, go make disciples and teaching them to obey, which we'll get to in a second, his basic command is every disciple must make a disciple. It's just that simple. And Dawson Troutman put it this way, and that's where this is like a negative statement. Dawson Troutman said, if you are making a disciple that isn't making a disciple, then you are not yet making a disciple. And guys, this is where I've honed in on for me during this pandemic time as I'm rethinking going, okay, so we've had this Sunday morning experience. And normally here's what happens. I, I see a biblical precedent where men and women were being empowered by the Holy Spirit and presenting the gospel and changing the world and casting out demons and healing the sick, right? That's just what happened there. I'm not saying that it has to happen today, so don't get too scared or anything. But I see all these powerful things where Jesus empowered and released. And then I, I look at me on Sunday morning and my attractional model, and my primary goal was to get someone to be a greeter, to serve a cup of coffee, or to do parking lot duty, right? And, and so I'm just really going, wait a second, what does it look like to live out as a disciple, not just to serve on a task Sunday, but to be called out and do the most basic things that Christ has called us to do? So there's three more areas that hit me with it. So I've been trying to work on what does it mean to go from knowledge to obedience? <laughs> and for me, and I think a lot of the church, we've spent the whole point where Jesus says teaching to obey we went teaching, and we, the church, took the model of the educational system in the United States and around the world, this incredible thing of, of knowledge. But, but what we've done with the knowledge is content has become the key, content, 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 versus process and systems. So what I mean by that is it's not – I just – I give you content, and I'm hoping that you figure out how to put it into action. 
And, and as I was just working through stuff, I mean, guys, I just went and did a quick, a quick, quick overview of the Old Testament and New Testament. And I typed in the word practices. Do you realize over a hundred times, here's what God says in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I hate your practice. 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 Then you get to Jesus and Jesus says, whoever is a wise man does not just hear the words what I say, but they put them into what? Practice. And so here's what the issue for me. I go, how do I slide from delivering content to actually helping people put stuff into practice? So I want to get them to obedience, which also means next, where I'm beginning, this is the major implication for me. I've been really fighting over the role of the pastor versus the goal of the pastor. So typically the role of the pastor, and we're hired to these roles. Some of the church wants to hire you. Here's what they say. A, a shepherd's job is to protect and provide and lead and guide the sheep. His goal is to get them to water. His goal is to get them to the food. His goal is to protect them from the animals. But I actually want to make this argument. That is the role of a pastor, but it is not the goal of a pastor. And let's go back to sheep. The goal of a shepherd is not to keep his sheep out of the wolf's mouth. The goal of the shepherd is not to feed and, and make sure they're watered. The goal of the shepherd is not to keep them healthy. The goal of the shepherd is not to make them fat. The goal of the shepherd is by the end of a year, the season, they have sheep that are impregnated and the multiplication of the flock is occurring. That is the primary goal of the shepherd. The second goal of the shepherd is that you get a sheep to a point where they're ready to be sheared, right? And, and they were created and able to use a product. And that product is going to influence others. It's going to bless others because that sheep will provide protection. And that, I mean, the wool will provide warmth. The wool will provide clothing. So the sheep were created for works that will serve the world, right? So the goal of a pastor is to actually multiply and help the sheep become what they were created to become. And the problem that I've seen and I'm working through because now in the middle of COVID, pastors are going, wait a second, how do I protect and provide and lead and guide when there's nobody here? But if the goal is to multiply and that's my job, not the role, you see, here's the key. The role of protecting, providing, leading, and guiding is what accomplishes the goal. And I think in America, we've gotten stuck. If I'm just doing the role, the goal will take care of itself. And the truth is that's not happening in America. So we get together and we're asking the question, so how do we better increase community when we struggle getting together, which is now, and how does my vision and role change when no one can come to me? So uh, we're, we're thinking through this, one more statement and then I'll move on. We gotta figure out the pastor to laity. And we've been saying this for a year, but if, if historically my role is predominant dispenser of information is what it feels like often, but we have to shift to a true discipleship definition where we have to think mentor to apprentice. And I loved what Doc just said, because he said, wait a second, we now have one mentor and we have three people that they're mentoring the apprentice. So we used, the word, used to use the word master or boss, but typically those are inherently negative connotations. But just think of this, 
Jesus did not just teach his disciples, Jesus apprenticed his disciples. When he taught them, then he showed them. The disciples would come to Jesus and they would say stuff like this, Jesus, teach me how to pray, right? And Jesus stopped and taught them how to pray. And what blows me away is Jesus didn't teach them some hour-long prayer. He gave them a 32-second Lord's Prayer, at least that's how long it takes me to pray it, and gave them concepts for prayer, but said, guys, it can be like this. This is what prayer is. And then when he sent them out, he brought them back and said, tell me how things went. Let me talk you through that. Let me explain things that you went through. So this typical thing of, of carpenter, like if I was a carpenter like Jesus, if I said, Jesus, teach me how to do carpentry, I'm not looking for an hour lecture. I'm really not. He doesn't have to sit there and tell me all about the magic of wood and the power of a hammer and the beauty of nails and how to actually drill a hole. What I really want him to do is to grab a hammer and nail and let me do it with him. I want a hammer and nail. And so part of this final shift of pastor to laity is we have to go back and say, wait a second, We've been holding on to things that actually belong to the laity. And so the biggest thing I've been trying to figure out is how do I change my schedule now where it won't just be about preparing for Sunday morning, but that I will actually make time to better mentor and apprentice to not just look at, hey, I want you to be an evangelist, for example. In evangelism, first there's a belief. I normally teach for belief that people need Jesus, but do I teach the skill? and say, hey, let me teach you how to present the gospel, and then let me model it. Let me go with you and present the gospel, and then let me hold you accountable. Who will you present the gospel to with this week? And then next week ask, hey, tell me how that went. So you see, that's where it's a system and a process. So we're trying to move, how do I change my, my, my model, my work schedule to better mentor and apprentice? And I'm also trying to figure out, how do I empower and release people that I should have empowered and released. And here's what I'm finding. The number one conversation I'm having with pastors, they're kind of making this comment. Well, Kevin, what you're saying is we just have to release control. And what I'll say is, well, your, your idea of control was probably um, not really true in the first place. You just think you're controlling it, but we have to release people. And, um, but what I've heard, and here's the thing I'd encourage most, we, with all of this happening, I meet with leaders, and I did this in my church. This is what we do. And, and if you come to me and say, what if we did this? No, that's not what we do. What if we did this? No, that's not what we do. To now I'm hearing this. Guys, I'm willing to try anything if it will make a difference during this time. And instead of trying to control everything that happens, I'm now just going, hey, and then not, that's not what we do. I'm now just trying to say, come up with any idea that will make an impact. And so for us, by the way, that just means we've tried to spend more time and mentoring apprenticeship groups, just like Doc, during the week. Uh, we've tried to get people together. If there's one thing, I had virtually identical statistics to Doc that we have about 30% that have come back, 30% that are online, and another 30 or 40% that they are just waiting. It's going to be six months to a year, and they're like, until I see something, I'm, I'm afraid. So we're seeing that also as a reality. The other thing I'm also finding is as much as I'm trying to move towards groups, and people want community. Make, make sure you hear this. We have to figure out what, what at least seemed like community on Sunday. How do we create community during the week? But here's what I'm finding. Even as I'm trying to commit, create community and people are telling me they want it, 50%, almost half the people we have 
are still unwilling to show up. So it's going to be very interesting as churches around the country, when you're hearing major churches say, hey, we have 20,000 on Sunday morning, but we're just going to break up into 2,000 uh, house churches now, and we're going to do that. What's interesting is that they actually have processes in place to develop those leaders. And then I think, wait a second, all of those leaders now have to be released. They have to entrust ministry to others. That's how it should have been, right? Like I'm thinking, how do we do that? It's got to move from just me on Sunday to it's actually happening in those groups. But then I'm wondering this how many people will actually still show up? But here's what I do know, and the final thing I'll say, is we're trying to hold on. A, a pastor leader said this to me. He said, our Sunday morning used to be a bonfire, and we loved it because hundreds could come gather around and, and stay warm and enjoy the benefits. He goes, what I'm trying to do now is start campfires all over my city. I'm trying to have someone just pick up a piece of the fire and go out. And he's one of the ones who said to me, I'm saying yes to anything. If you can do something to impact, tell me what to do to help you tell you what you can do to help Sunday morning grow. It's switching to tell me what I can do to help you make an impact. And by the way, personally for us, the number one thing that's popping up because our schools are closed, like most of y'all's, I'm, I'm outside of the Washington DC area. The number of ideas and concepts on how we're going to reach love students, especially the single families and dual parents working, and serve teachers with learning pods and cohorts, the number of that is just astronomically jumped. Even the little facility that we have, those opportunities have jumped exponentially as we've said i want to empower you to go i want to release you you tell me what you need to succeed instead of me telling you how to make coffee you tell me what you need to be successful and then we're doing ongoing mentoring of simple processes to try to help create those belief skills and values to make them successful out there as a disciple makers so i'll stop awesome thank you so much kevin and again, if you guys have questions for either Michael or Kevin, uh, make sure and put them in the chat box. I think this is a great way to kind of end the series. Um, and that, that's to really feel released. I don't know about you guys, but um, it can be a little bit confusing to look for other examples in our country right now. I mean, you literally have on, on, the, on the West Coast, you have a megachurch pastor suing the state of California uh, for the right to meet in person and watch him preach online or excuse me, watch him uh, preach like in, in person. Then you have J.D. Greer on the other coast saying, uh, and as, as well as Andy Stanley saying, we're not going to meet at all in 2020 and we're, we're going to release you uh, to meet in smaller groups. It can be a little bit confusing, but I, I think one of the things that um, we're hearing from both Michael and Kevin, and I would echo, is that uh, there should be, feel, be a feeling of release and freedom uh, from the Sunday morning gathering being the end-all be-all. And if you guys are familiar with Reggie McNeil, um, you, you may have seen his recent blog where he talks about this, about how he's been saying for years that we've got to get a new scorecard, that the old scorecard of how many people coming on a Sunday morning, how many dollars they're, they're spending, is, is we should kind of put that to bed. And in his latest blog, I just want to read this one statement because I love this. He said, um, the pandemic kicked us out into the street. Now's not the time to look for a seat back inside as our major spiritual expression. The country's survival is at stake, spoken only as Reggie McNeil can. So is the church's cultural relevance and missional integrity. The answer to both dilemmas is the same. Our understanding that we as the people of God are to partner with him in his redemptive mission in the world, 
that mission is what it has always been, his kingdom come. And so uh, one of the things I just want to say as we end this series and, and look to the fall is to feel some freedom to, and to what is next for your church, not to go to church, but, but to be the church. And I know that's a cliche we talk about a lot. Um, let me just kind of end, I'll give you three kind of practical things that we're doing as a church um, that are trying to live that out. Uh, the first one is in two weeks, because we're not feeling this um, incredible need to just get back to Sunday mornings as usual, we're doing what we call a serve Sunday where we're canceling our normal worship service and the people that are willing, we're gonna get together and we are creating care packages for the teachers in our school district, including with um, uh, personal uh, protection equipment, which they're not certain they're gonna be getting enough of. And so we're gonna help supplement that as well as uh, writing like little uh, appreciation cards and gift cards uh, to each teacher. We did this last year before the pandemic and one of the teachers came to us and said, um, uh, there are moments where she questions her call to teach. And she said she always takes out the card that our church sent her and just reads it as just fuel to keep, to keep going. So um, God's really kind of blessed that partnership. And that's something that we're going to continue to do. Um, the second one is uh, communion for us is a big deal. We're in a very uh, Catholic area. So one of the ways that we decided early on as a church um, is to uh, to have the Lord's Supper every single week as a way to remember what Christ has done for us. So this fall, as an, another way of showing um, that we want to empower our people and decentralize so that it's not just about the Sunday gathering, is we're going to be moving uh, our Lord's Supper from the stage uh, to the home. And so it's got, we're going to actually empower our groups to take the Lord's Supper, and if they will, and if it's safe, to even do that as part of a larger meal. Um, again, kind of going back New Testament on that, but to give our folks freedom to not think of Sunday morning as the only time uh, that they can receive, but that, that they are the church and really empower them in that way. And then the third one is probably the one that I'm the most excited about. We went through a cohort um, this year where we've been looking at, uh, some of you were maybe on the call with Brad Briscoe. Um, we've been in a cohort with him with Tampa Underground and um, super, so many like ideas in that, um, but really to kind of riff off what Kevin said earlier about the idea of sheep and, and kind of the purpose of sheep, Brian Sanders in his book talks a lot about that, about like, what does it mean to really release our people and get away from this sort of stage mentality of like, I have all the answers, like, like we're a TED talk, um, instead to really empower our people. And so one of the things that we're going to do, and I'm going to put the link in uh, the chat box, there's a thing called the calling lab that the underground does. And it's free. And it, basically, it's a way to get your people to go through kind of an inventory as well as getting people to speak into their life to figure out what their particular calling is. And so one of the things that we've decided to do is this fall is to focus on looking at our people, not simply as, you know, sheep just to be fed, as Kevin was talking about, but to see them as more than that, to see them as missionaries. And so what we're going to do is we're going to challenge our folks to go through the calling lab, find their calling, and then we're going to actually have commissioning worship services uh, for them, where we actually, almost like an ordain, or ordains, or ordaining service, where we appoint them and we affirm their calling, pray over them, and then release them to be missionaries. And so uh, we're really excited. We've got a couple of people that have already agreed uh, to do that and just kind of flipping everything upside down and trying to release our people 
for the, for the ministry and for the, for, for the gospel. So that, that link is there as well. Um, I think that's about it. I think, uh, it, does anybody have any questions for either Michael or Kevin or myself or any comments as we kind of enter this new, uh, new reality? We've got just a couple minutes left. I, I do want to honor your time, but don't want to um, uh, cut off any questions or comments before we go. Tim, do you mind if I just say something real quick? Sure, go for it. I just want to invite everyone here just to, to take a deep breath and exhale and, and to not allow yourselves to feel this unnatural pressure. Um, this is not on you. You know, the Lord will build his church. Uh, try to enjoy this part of the journey because in the end, you know, all God holds us accountable for is our obedience, not the outcome. So, you know, if we're loving God and we're loving people and we're proclaiming the gospel and living out the Great Commission and, you know, the Great Commandments are focused, man, that's a win. So, you know, one of the things, this has slowed me down. And at first I felt very lost, like a ship without a rudder. I felt very insecure in who I was and my worth, which means that my worth was coming from my performance, not from Jesus, which was not a good thing. So just learn what he wants you to learn. Enjoy the process. If you're being obedient, you are winning. That's all I could say. Amen. Thank you, Michael. That's a good, that's a good word. And I think probably we're all feeling that. We're all feeling tired. And so it's, it's good to be, be encouraged and to really uh, to lean in now more than ever. So, hey, thank you, guys. I'm, I'm going to um, close us in a time of prayer. And if you can, this is really going to help me out. Again, this is going to take 60 seconds. I just posted the link there. It's a super fast survey. If you don't mind uh, clicking on the link, that's just going to help us in planning. Because like I said, we're uh, working on the fall right now and what that can look like as a way of equipping uh, folks in our area. And just a few answers there are going to help us uh, tremendously. So thank you again for joining us today. I hope it was um, worth your time. Thank you to Michael and Kevin. Special thanks to you guys as well. And um, yeah, let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Father, I just thank you for um, this cultural moment. And as, as difficult as it is, I think about Reggie's quote of uh, kicking the church out to the streets where we should have been all along. And so, God, we pray that um, we wouldn't be discouraged, that when we get tired, that we would know that uh, we're walking hand in hand with brothers and sisters in Christ on the same mission, and that we would feel empowered by your spirit to do things uh, that only you can do. And God, I pray that even this series would just kind of open our eyes to uh, what could be. And maybe uh, um, maybe I'm, I'm certain 2020 wasn't what we pictured it was going to be. And yet we know that you have so much more for us and the church has a chance to be uh, light and darkness. And we pray, God, that you would just give us your eyes to see where you're at work so we can join you in that work. I thank you for my brothers and sisters on this call. Uh, God, may we be uh, empowered by you, uh, for the sake of the gospel, and we give all you give you all the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey guys, thank you so much again. All the links are right there in the chat. We'll keep them up for a second, and uh, if you can uh, go ahead and fill out that survey link, that would be uh, that would help us out a lot.